supercars hit the track again, and guess what? Cream rises to the top. It was Triple Eight and DJR Team Penske again. Nick Perkhead in his 200th start upstaged Jamie Wincup in his 500th start to win his third race ever in supercars. The qualifying battles fell two wins to Scotty McLaughlin and one to Jamie Wincup. That leaves Scott McLaughlin on 63 pole positions, only 23 behind Wincup for the most ever pole positions. And the drivers gave the new format the thumbs up. Three 100km sprints, no fuel stops, but plenty of tyre strategy. Packed full of excitement and interest. They loved it, we loved it. This is Supercars in Review. Well, it's all happened. Basing's back. It's fantastic. I'm excited, as you can tell in my voice. Clarkie joins me. How you going, Andrew? Sensational. Two great afternoons on the couch. Um, much rather would have been there. Um, but as you know, the media is not allowed to attend yet. So um, we have to watch it from telly and hope we get all the information. So we might be a bit stilted until we get to the car races, but I still loved it. Oh, fantastic. See, I, personally, I did not notice the crowd wasn't there. I loved it. Great weekends racing. Um, there were some big surprises. I love Percat and I love Holsworth being up there on the podium. Fantastic results for those two guys. But it looks like the cream is pretty much still at the top. Yeah, well, it's what we talked about in the preview, isn't it? That, you know, we expected Red Bull Racing and, and DJR Team Penske to be on top of it because, you know, they're teams. They've got big resources. They've got big amounts of energy to put into these things. So, yes, they're going to do well. But what we also thought was that there'd be some oddities, some strange results. And um, you look at the Brad Jones Racing Boys. I mean, Todd Hazelwood was doing really well. Nick Perkat clearly was there as well. You look at a couple of other people. You know, there were some really great battles and some great dices through the field. And Fox, actually, this time around, they showed those midfield battles really well this time. And I, I thought they did a really good job showing us what was going on. And that's what I loved. So when you're at the track, when I've got my data screens up and running and can see all of that, I know what's happening. I can look at the times from there. I can look out the window and see what's going on. Um, I actually felt like they did it sensationally this time, perhaps better than ever before. Yes, I loved the racing. It was just like everybody had a chance. I, I loved it mixed up, cars tyre strategies, there was a lot of passing going on where some guys had better strategies and driving through the field, which is exactly what we've been trying with tyre strategies for years. It was hard tyres, soft tyres, but really all they had to do was just kind of limit some of the tyres for the races, but, but make it enough where it was still competitive. And what you need to do in, in car racing is, if you're, especially when you're running a parity formula, you've got to provide variation. And the variation comes in this case from you know, when you stop, how many tyres you change. You know, as we spoke about the other day, that unique situation now of only having two rattle guns. So if you want to do a, a four-tyre stop, it's going to cost you eight to ten seconds as opposed to four to five seconds for one tyre. So it really opens up the world to these different strategies. And you saw it in the first race, Cam Waters and he took on two tyres. In the second race, he took on three tyres. So theoretically, he should have had some gun tyres at the end. Um, Lee Holdsworth did two tyres on both of his first two races and had great tyres at the end, as we saw, with the, with the logical outcome when he nearly snatched the win because of it. So that's what I love about it is when we give something a little bit different, when we can think about it, the drivers can think, the drivers can be a little more gentle. They can look after the tyres just to get that little bit of extra life. Um, and you saw, you know, Scotty McLaughlin in that first race, he sprinted away and he admits he went too hard and he damaged the tyres. 
by the third race, he got that gap and then he just kept it at two seconds instead of stretching it out even further. So, you know, he learned his lesson from that and, and that's what probably carried him through to win the race. Well, let's get into the first race and get a bit more what what, what happened. Mind you, it's been a big race weekend. There's been three races. Well, we'll get into the races in a minute, but I want to talk about qualifying because everything's changed. This is the first race in the whole new COVID world order. So let's get into qualifying. Clarkie, give us a rundown of how qualifying went. I think they were quite interesting. The um, the Saturday one um, had the all cars in it to start with, then it dropped off the slowest four, then it dropped off the next five and then had a top 15 shootout. And the shootouts, while sometimes can be a little bit boring, it, it is the ultimate battle of man and machine because there's no one on the track to spoil you. It's just you out there and... I think that's where you see the real performances in qualifying. And, you know, Scott McLaughlin's lap on that shootout was a, was a stunning one, you know, 27, nine, six, five, eight new lap record qualifying record. The, um, you know, so he did really well. Um, interestingly, as we said before, you know, it's the cream, you know, he from was there on the grid from Van Gisbergen waters. And the one that surprised me perhaps early on in the weekend was Chaz Mostert. Like they had speed, you know, we, we know they have speed at Adelaide, the Walkinshaw United and Andretti United cars, but they haven't shown speed elsewhere. This time around, they did. Um, and, and look, they look good all weekend, except for uh, probably using their tyres too hard too early. But uh, in qualifying, you know, they had the speed and that was great. Even um, Bryce Fullwood was 11th. So, you know, as a rookie, he was able to get up, up right into the figuring. So I think that combination worked quite well. It was a bit complex and you had to think a little bit, which is not such a bad thing, but it worked. Then, of course, the Sunday when you got the two races, you got a 10-minute qualifying session with a five-minute break and then another 10-minute qualifying session. Like, there's no room for error there. There's just go out and do the bloody thing. You know, put your times down. But what we found is because of the lack of tyres, they were all just sitting around waiting. You know, they'd, they'd go out and put down a marker lap and then they'd just sit and wait. So there was no one on the track and you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, um, going to make a coffee or, you know, get another glass of wine or a beer or whatever it is you like as your beverage for watching car racing. And then they all came out with about three minutes to go and it was just balls out. It was great. Um, you know, that's what qualifying is all about. It's uh, just put it on the line, go. How long were the qualifying sessions on Sunday? Ten minutes each. So they've made them short so because they know they didn't make them half an hour each because they knew the drivers would just sit there and wait. So they might as well just make them five minutes each. Yeah, I think ten minutes is not a bad length because what you actually found was some guys went out in the middle of it. So, you know, they didn't do an early lap. Um, and they'd go out and try and get some clean running and do do a lap then. Um, but, of course, everybody wants to be on the, you know, try and take your lap when the chequered flag's flying. Um, it just, history tells us for, that that's when you need to do your fast lap for some reason, um, probably because Ayrton Senna proved it and uh, we all had to follow line. But it was good, you know, you were sitting there watching, you know, and just thinking what's going to happen here. And, uh, you know, of course, McLaughlin was supreme in, in qualifying and, and Jamie Winkup was great in that one to to take pole for his 500th race. Which interestingly, he's already done that because he um, he took pole in Melbourne with what at what was going to be his 500th race, but it never happened. So he got to do it again. So twice, he's the only guy in history who will ever take two pole positions for his 500th race. <laughs> that is a really good stat. That's fantastic. Yeah, not bad. So he's not bad. He's got a pole position for no race. Did he get the check? Did he get an armor all check in Melbourne? Yeah. Yeah, they were legit, legitimate qualifying sessions. So as far as I'm concerned, they're in the data. I've Love got them it. in my spreadsheet and um, that adds up to his 86. Well, let's get on to the racing. 
Race one Saturday. Clarkie, give us an overall look at that one. What I love about Eastern Creek is that it's sorry, Sydney Motorsport Park is the starts on an angle, uh, sorry, on an incline. So the it's a hard place to start a race car. You got to sit on the brakes, you got line lockers, you got all sorts of things involved to not roll over that little white line. So it makes it hard. And, and the hard start is a good start because it means you get differences. And the funny thing was that like Van Gisbergen got the jump on McLaughlin for the first five metres and then McLaughlin's car hooked in and took away. And by the time they had that 150 metre run to the first corner, he had control, and which was good. But you saw other things. You know, Cam Waters had a shocker and he dropped a whole pile of spots. Um, one of the cars stalled down the back of the grid and, you know, we had a bit of biffing and barging, not as much as in the third race, mind you, but there was a bit of biffing and barging going through turn one and into turn two, which, you know, it's the exciting part of the race, isn't it? Those early laps, that, those early corners when they're on tyres that haven't quite warmed up and they're willing to take risks. That's one of the times I love motorsport. There was a lot of battles mid-pack, and this is one thing that um, came around. You mentioned earlier with the telecast, which they did a fantastic job of showing more of the mid-pack battles. But there's not, not everybody was happy about that. Coulthard had a pretty hard weekend. In fact, the last race he didn't even finish. But there, no, no. there was a few other guys that weren't too happy either. Yeah, well, Coulthard wasn't happy with his car on that first set of tyres and um, there was a big queue behind him, you know, De Pasquale, Pye, Holdsworth and Hazelwood were all in there and they were all kind of digging noses out, looking for fresh air and having a bit of a fight. Um, And it made great great TV, you know, we were looking at it and watching it while up the front, you know, McLaughlin was just pulling away from the pack. So it was great to have these mid-pack battles, which were really good. And then lap 12 and the pit stop started. Yeah, well, that's when it all turned on its ear, didn't it? So all the guys who stopped early did only two tyres, which is interesting. So, you know, Frosty, Courtney and Reynolds were um, were the first ones to stop and they did the loaded side only, so the right-hand side of the car. Um, Cam Waters was in on the next lap and he had two tyres. Um, Alex Davison, of course, pitted that lap, but not for tyres because he broke in his front end, so he retired then, which was uh, a bit sad, but that's what happened. But as I say, all the early guys did two tyres, so you had to wait until lap 15 for the four tyre stoppers. Which was interesting, given it's only three laps, you know, two or three laps, it's interesting, the, the concept behind it. But as we learned in race three, there was a reason why they only did two tyres, and it was to try and save tyres and spread them out through the whole event. Yeah, okay. So Wincup was the first guy to put four tyres on in race one? Yep, he was in lap 15. McLaughlin was the next lap. Um, and interestingly, there were a in, couple of interesting ways of doing the stops. So the Red Bull guys, they did um, one did the front wheel and one did the rear wheel, and then he went to the front and back to the rear based on whether they were left-handed or right-handed. So they were always moving in the same direction with the tyres, whereas the Shell guys just did, you know, back to front. So they, they were going at the same time. But you had to get around the spike man, the guy with the, with the air hose, um, and that caused a couple of problems for people. So McLaughlin's stop was, was a bit slow. Like there was a bit of a problem with the front left. And it was reported that he lost about two seconds on that. And interestingly, Van Gisbergen, who pitted three laps later, had the same problem. He had a slow front left being done. And they said he'd lost the same amount of time. But data, of course, doesn't tell lies. And we've got the exact figures and we we know that that's not quite true. Okay. So what we got is that um, in the first sector out of the pit stops, McLaughlin did a one-minute 5.1-second lap. Shane Van Gisbergen on the same sector coming out of the pits did a one-minute 6.8-second lap. Um, Jamie Wincup, who didn't have any problems, did a one-minute 4.4. So he was about 0.7 of a second faster than McLaughlin. And the interesting one is you throw in one of the two two stoppers. So Cam Waters was only one minute minute flat, 0.3. So about five seconds quicker 
than McLaughlin doing two tyres over four. So quite interesting when you see it that way. And uh, even Van Gisbergen's outlap, the whole lap was shocking. You know, he was five seconds off McLaughlin in the, in the outlap. So what do you put he that- must have got stuck in traffic. So we, oh, you reckon it's got that's what you put down to? You got stuck in traffic. Yeah. All right. Because yeah, that's the thing, you know. So when 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 they do a pit stop, you're trying to balance out, you know, who do you come out around? Um, so if you you say to yourself, well, my pit stop's going to take eight seconds, so I know it's going to take me forty two seconds from the entry to pit lane to the exit of pit lane. If you lose two seconds because of a problem, it can throw everything haywire because two seconds might drop you back behind two other cars, and then you've got a problem. So. They always do it based on, you know, if it all works well, we're okay. Sometimes they allow a little bit of slack either side, but generally they won't allow for two seconds of slack. Well, with all the shenanigans going on, it came down to Scott McLaughlin and Shane Van Kiersburg together battling out in the final laps again for the win. It's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> um, ben Gisbergen obviously had to fight his way through the pack. And um, by the time he got through the pack, I think he'd taken the edge off the tyres. So even though they were three laps younger, I, I think he'd just taken a bit off them. Um, but he spent 10 laps at the end trying to find a way past McLaughlin. And uh, it was good to watch. And while you're not seeing a lot of overtaking, you, you've got to appreciate the skill involved in doing 10 laps on wearing out tyres at full speed. So f- almost qualifying for 10 laps without making a mistake. Like one mistake could cost you the win. One mistake could, could take you out of second place. Um, so it's really high stakes there. And I, I love the pressure involved in that. Um, so even though you're not seeing lots of overtaking, you're seeing something really interesting and really exciting. And uh, even that last lap, you know, a couple of taps from Van Gisbergen onto McLaughlin and, uh, you know, McLaughlin held his nerve, as you would expect. Well, um, For Australians, it's quite sickening seeing those two Kiwis battling it out again like that. <laughs> I forgot that. Yeah. Well, look, the results, McLaughlin, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, followed by Wing Cup uh, on the podium. Then uh, Mosser was fourth. Paul, uh, Percat was fifth. Waters, Holdsworth, Pasquale, Winterbottom, and Coulthard railed out the top ten. There's a good mixture of names in there. Like, you know, Percat, Waters, these guys, Pasquale, all those guys coming through. Uh, I love it. If you have a look at it too, Nev, that a lot of the guys up the front uh, were the good sim racers. Van Gisbergen spoke about that during the weekend and he said, while, while it doesn't keep him you know, race fit, it keeps his brain sharp. It keeps his brain in car racing mode and it keeps him in that concentration zone. So if you look at it, you know, McLaughlin, Van Gisbergen, Waters, Mostert all did reasonably well. Wincup didn't. Um, but Percat and Di Pasquale, like they were all guns in the, in the E-series. So it kept their brains sharp. Um, Percat, of course, as we spoke about the other day, he spent truckloads of time in go-karts keeping race fit as well. So he was quite smart about how he handled that too. Well, a couple of issues from that first race. Tickford had clutch issues. Dave Reynolds didn't like his setup. He said it needed more work. And a lot of talk about the aero wash, which is probably I'll ask you a little bit more about that um, after we go through the races to round it off. Yeah, well, it's um. So the the Tickford cars, um, three of the four had clutch issues, which meant they just didn't have the bite when they were changing gears. So you know they were losing time there. If three out of four cars have got it, there's something wrong. It's not just a one-off clutch failure. So uh, I'm sure they spent a lot of time thinking about that on Saturday night and how to get around it. Davy Reynolds um, said afterwards he didn't like his setup and there was a lot of work needed. And when you saw him out on the track, you realised that he was spot on. The car was completely at sea and he was struggling. And uh, you know, kudos to the team because they went away overnight and uh, they came back and gave him a good car for Sunday. Um, so that kind of worked. 
And of course, as you said, the aero wash was a big discussion on um, on Saturday night. Um, so the aero wash in particular is going to have a big impact at turn one on that track. Like it's a high speed corner. It's a 215 kilometer power, you know, 1.8 G load corner. So you really need your aerodynamics to be playing. And what it meant was that the guys, the following car couldn't follow the way they wanted to, which meant that you couldn't get yourself into that position to do the overtaking move in T2. So it was a big issue. And of course, we heard it was the first time we heard them um, complaining about aero wash was at Bathurst last year. And there was a claim, you know, well, we're going to fix it by cutting the downforce and things, um, but they haven't really fixed the aero wash issue. So um, stay tuned for that one. And um, maybe the drivers will need to accept that if they want to get rid of aero wash, they have to get rid of some downforce and um, they have to fight the cars a little bit more. Race two, Sunday. We talked about the quick fire qualifying format. Jamie was on his pole for the 500th race, which is great to see. Well, his second time. He led from McLaughlin. He led, he, obviously, he led away from McLaughlin quite comfortably, as did Van Gisbergen to start with. But the interesting thing was how quickly Van Gisbergen fell off the pace. And there was all sorts of speculation in the, in the commentary box about whether or not he'd done his clutch. But then when we got the in-car footage, you could hear there was no clutch slipping. So it wasn't a clutch. And so what it was was... It was tyres. They'd given him a really bad set of tyres to start there because they knew at some stage every driver was going to have to sacrifice a part of their race to get through the weekend. So they sacrificed that part. And what it did was, though, it just cost them so badly because he was dropping spots hand over fist and he just kept dropping down to the middle of the pack. And then he had to make all of that back when he got decent tyres on the car. So he, he, was in, he was in a world of pain during that well, race. SVG was, had a bit of an injury from jogging or running. Does he jog? <laughs> I'm thinking he was having a no, run and he twisted that. an ankle or hurt his knee or something. Oh, there, yeah. you okay. that? No, I haven't heard that. Yeah, they, were to, they went over the telecast. It injured himself, but it wasn't affecting him. I think, yeah. I mean, the main thing for, for Van Gisbergen was, and the Red Bull team spoke about it after the race, was that, you know, you had to make a sacrifice. So your question was, do you lose time early running on poor tyres, then pit early and then chase, or do you want to make time early on good tyres, stop late and defend? So they kind of think that after the race two, that you didn't want to do the one where you start on the poor tyres. Um, you want to start on good tyres and defend later. And I think when you look at what happened to Van Gisbergen, because clearly the Red Bulls were quick cars all weekend, that you know, he just dropped into no man's land um, and he was never coming back from that because of where he got to. So, you know, I don't think that was the right strategy play to have. But there were other strategy plays as well. As I said earlier, like some guys were just taking on two tyres at each stop so they knew in race three they had good tyres across the board. So you could do all sorts of different things this weekend. Again, why it was such an interesting race weekend. Yeah, so Waters fired his way into third, which is good to see. This guy is one guy to keep an eye on, I reckon. Yeah, he was charging hard early. And, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think he's got a great future. Um, he's developing well. I mean, he's effectively the team leader now. He's the longest-serving Tickford person. So, you know, the, the weight falls onto him. Um, got a good-looking car as well, and that helps. But um, he's, he's handling the pressure quite nicely. And I think his run up into third was pretty good. Interestingly, you know, Percat was uh, was was chasing him as well. And Percat was so racy at this point in, of time. And after the race, Percat was talking about that. And he said he realised that everybody else was on pretty ordinary tyres and he was on good ones. And he thought, oh, here's a chance. So we're going to go for this. We're going to go for the win. So he decided early on in the race, before a handful of laps were done, that he was going to go for the race win. And that's what their strategy was from there, was to make sure that he won that race. And it didn't take long. Like he passed Waters and he passed McLaughlin for second. 
interesting when he passed McLaughlin for second. Actually, McLaughlin dropped three spots during the move. So it shows how bad it is when you get offline at Sydney Motorsport Park. You can drop a whole heap of spots while, while blinking your eyes. Reynolds was looking a lot racier from Saturday. Yeah, he's a happier boy, wasn't he? He's, um, <laughs> he had speed and he had pace, but just balance in the car. And I think even Di Pasquale's car looked better as well. We didn't expect Davey Reynolds to be so poor as he was on the Saturday. So it was good to see him back in contention and figuring up near the front of the field in that race. I think he was running fourth for a while, which was, um, which was good to see. So anyway, Nick, had, he knew he had good tyres. He said, I'm going for it. Lap 15, he pitted. They put four tyres on the car. Were they brand new again and he just went for it again or did he have a couple of used ones on there? Not sure if they were brand new, but they were pretty good, Nick. But, yeah, he had good tyres and that's probably all that really matters. So, as we said before, it was like balancing out, you know, I've got a, I've got a good apple and I've got a slightly soft apple. I'm going to go for the good apple this time. And so he went for the good apples and uh, you know, threw them on in the desire to um, – to win the race because he said that he could see the opportunity and it was really good thinking on his part and it shows maturity as a driver I think coming into play to say you know I know I can see everybody else is struggling and they're struggling because of tyres we're not struggling for tyres and we're going to do this. Well Wind Cup came in the following lap to really cover off on Nick put on two tyres and yeah. um, by lap 22 Nick had caught him and passed him which was obviously given if you're going to put on four tyres and the other guy in front's going to put on two you knew there was a, the race was on yeah well you see your big risk there was because Percat stopped one lap earlier there was the, the risk of the undercut you know so you're talking four seconds possibly so he could have picked up four seconds just in the pits when he gets back on the track, you know, he's got that extra speed and bite and he can really, really cut into the lead. So I think, don't know whether whether Triple Eight decided to do that to, to defend the lead or whether they were doing that because race three was coming up. But I would have thought they were dead set on winning Jamie Wincup's 500th race. I would have thought and they put on four tyres. I thought they should have put on four tyres, yeah. I think that was a significant race and they should have actually gone out to win the thing instead of thinking about the third race. Um, so who knows, you know, with Roland Dane wasn't there, so maybe it would have been different if he was there. But uh, I, I think they should have gone for it, and they didn't. Um, and ultimately it cost them because um, Percat just had so much grip, he had so much bite. The passing win cup was easy, and, uh, and after he did that, he pulled out and won by the race by over three seconds. He did what SVG couldn't do to McLaughlin um, on the Saturday. Absolutely. And that's the difference. Yeah, if you've got the tie grip, you can do whatever you want. Well, the results, Percat, Wincup and McLaughlin with the podium positions, followed by Mostert and Reynolds for the top five. Waters, Van Gisbergen, Winterbottom, Courtney and Heimgartner were rounded out the top ten. Again, a few names, Courtney and Heimgartner in there. That was great to see. This is where we see James Courtney starting to get a bit of a handle of the car. We were talking him up last week pretty big time but the reality is yeah all that kind of stuff and we start to see him come back yeah saturday was a real learning curve for him i mean jumping out of a out of a commodore into the mustang you know it's a different world um so it's not just a different team the car's different as well and so a whole bunch of things for him to learn at times on Saturday, I thought he looked at sea. Certainly in qualifying, he didn't look like he was there, but as the race wore on, he, he got better and better and stronger. So seeing him starting to race on Sunday um, was a really good thing. I mean, it's a sensational-looking car. I mean, the paint scheme is just mind-blowingly That's good. fantastic. Easily the best-looking car in the field, which is not something we've been able to say about Tickford cars in the past. <laughs> Although they've actually got three really good-looking cars now. I think the Monster car is great, and I love, I love Lee Holdsworth's truck assist car. 
I think they all look really good. But yeah, it was great to see him there. And Andre Heimgartner, I mean, I, I think the kid's a real talent. Um, I think we're going to see much, much more from him as the Kellys get better. And each race meeting, those guys will get better with that car. There was a little thing they showed on Heimgartner's training regime and stuff between races, and uh, he's pretty serious. You know, I think he's a, he's a good kid. He's got a great future. A couple of questions. Strategy questions around tyres was a big thing after this race two or the first race on Sunday. The telecast was saying they reckon all drivers had six good tyres going into the third race and they had two so-so tyres. That was probably the general perception up and down pit lane. Um, But it was, again, do you put the good tyres on and come out uh, blazing and then defend or do you do deal with the yeah. pain at the start and then come through with good tyres at the end? Um, I think, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to balance that out and look at it. But I think the commentators missed a couple of points there. You know, one is that, like, if you take Win Cup and Van Gisbergen, they did four tyres on every stop. So each, one of their t- each set of their tyres, each one of those tyres had 15 or so laps done. Lily Holdsworth only did two tyres on each stop. So he'd only damaged effectively two, three sets of tyres instead of four. So he had more tyres than the others. And Cam Waters did two two tyres, three tyres. So he had one extra tyre over the others as well. So it was really a bit of playing around with how the tyres worked. I think there was an imbalance when we went into that final race over who had what. And I think you look at the cars that ended up coming through and doing really well, and they'd actually played the tyre game quite, quite cleverly early on in the thing. Okay, I've got to ask you, three tyres... What, what's what's the thinking of that and what three tyres are they changing? Well, you do both rears um, and you do the loaded right, the loaded front. Okay. Um, so the inside, the inside left doesn't do much work. So, so the, only, the, the three tyre thing is you might save one tyre to use later. Correct, yeah. And well, one tyre can make a world of difference. So obviously. If you've got one extra tyre you can throw on the loaded right rear, um, that would do you well. So the whole way you use the tyres is interesting. So you've got a guy like um, McLaughlin, and he like, he's got like a nice pointy car that will turn into the corners nicely. So he wasn't happy on Saturday because it wasn't turning so well. But what he says was, you give me a car that turns in and I can control the rest with my foot. So I can control how much wheel spin I get. I can control the back end of the car with my foot. Now, if you're good enough at that, you're going to protect your tyres. So you're going to come out of it with good tyres. And you see drivers all the time who are known for looking after their tyres and then being able to go through the pack because they've looked after their tyres. And I think, you know, Scotty McLaughlin's proven that he's fairly good at looking after tyres because of his, the way he drives the car. He gets the car turned in and then his job is to try not to spin the wheels while he's coming out of the corners. And if you can do that, you're going to keep your tyres together. Some drivers could get away and concentrate on looking after their tyres, but if you were mixed up in the pack... Right, and you were trying to get some room or whatever, it was really hard to look after tyres. So part of the key was getting out of those race packs. Absolutely. And you saw in this one, yeah, McLaughlin won the, won the start and he pulled out to a two-second lead and then he held the two-second lead. So unlike the first race, he didn't keep going. He said, I've got two seconds, and he just kept the same gap in the mirror to, to Jamie Wincup. So he was quite aware of that this time around. But as you say, if you're in the middle of those 
some of those packs. And some of those packs were, were amazing. You know, they, they were going into corners three wide. There was biffing, there was barging, there was punching, there was whacking, there was all sorts of things going on. But what happens is that if you're going through those two fast corners, so the corner coming out of Corporate Hill heading into the hairpin or the turn one, and you're in somebody's, in the slipstream with somebody, your car's going to slide. And as it slides a little bit, it's going to just wear those tyres a little bit more. So following without clean air is going to hurt your tyres. So you've either got to make your move fast or do something to try and protect them. And that's why the battle packs in the middle were just so fierce because you didn't want to spend too much time there. You wanted to get through. So talking about getting away from battle packs, race three, McLaughlin uh, on pole from Wing Cup and Van Gisbergen opens up a good lead of about two seconds to keep away from all that. It wasn't so good for Van Gisbergen. No, Van Gisbergen looked like he was still struggling. But interestingly, McLaughlin wasn't trying. And you blinked, and the next thing you know, he's at a five-second lead. And he was trying to pace it. You know, he wasn't even pushing hard. So I think the Red Bulls looked like they were struggling already early in the race, that they, they just weren't sharp, they weren't pointy. And probably witnessed by the fact that, you know, Wing Cup, when he pitted on lap 14, he only took on two tyres, which probably means he only had two tyres that were any good. So I think they were, they were struggling big time. At one stage, I thought it was going to be processional, and then it all started to uh, get interesting. Waters drops five spots in one corner. Yeah, he just got pushed out onto the marbles, and that was it. They just went boom, 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 down the inside of him. So uh, it just shows you, you know, when you've got those battles where you've got five or six cars in a group, you can easily go from first to last, you know, just by being pushed out of line. And once you haven't got the track position, um, everybody can just zip down the inside of you. And, yeah, so he did, he looked um, kind of like he was being ambushed by them. It was a bit funny uh, if you weren't him. It looked like he had, may have had a bit of uh, trouble with his front end on the telecast. I was saying it wasn't uh, tracking quite well. or was, uh... It was funny. It looked like it was shaking a little bit at the front, but there was no desire to change anything. So maybe he just picked up some debris on the edge of the tyres, which made it a bit shaky at that particular point. You'll see if you look at the, the Eastern Creek track in particular, there's lots of chunks of tyres if you're slightly offline. So you pick one of those up and just get a little vibration, which might only last one corner, and it might have just been the one corner that cost him five spots. This puts us to lap 16. McLaughlin pitted for four tyres. Yeah, four tyres, interestingly. So um, obviously confident that he had a bit of, bit of tyres there, but he had a nice gap. So he could probably afford to take a little bit of a risk, so he didn't need to worry about losing track position. So the four tyres were taken on. And, um, yeah, and that left Hazel, Hazelwood leading the race for a little bit, which was quite good. I mean, he was having a great run early, Hazelwood, and I thought he was in, in real contention to win the thing. You know, he was effectively third before the pit stop, so he was in great position. But unfortunately, when he did his pit stop, I don't think the car was quite so good afterwards. I thought he lost a lot of places. Considering where he'd driven up to from the start of the race... I reckon he was in contention for a podium, but he just went too far backwards in his pit stop. Yeah, you, you, well, he dropped to 11th in his pit stop. So, um, you know, that was a pretty ordinary. I mean, I don't think we saw the pit stop on TV, so we don't know what went wrong with it. But um, clearly it wasn't wasn't a good one for him. But he obviously had the good tyres on the start, then he decided to defend with what he had left. Yeah, that's my gut feel on it. Again, as I say, it's very hard when we're not actually at the track. So hopefully they'll let us go to Winton and we can work that out. So his pit stop time wasn't too bad. I mean, 1 minute 3.96 on his first sector out of the pits. So that's well and truly in the, in the good run for a four-tyre stop. So I think it was just track position, and it just put him into a bad track position. I mean, he came out behind Coulthard, and uh, and that was going to be hard work getting past him, although he got past him 
on the very next lap. But then you know, had others, James Courtney, who was being pretty hard to pass, and you know, then you had Percap, and he just made the battle too hard, I think. It brings us to lap 19. Holdsworth pitted for four tyres. Yeah, he, he returned to the track behind Hazelwood, um, which is quite fascinating when you look at it. Like, he came out behind Coulthard even. You know, so he's in 12th position. But, gee, the car looked good. You well, could I, tell right from the start. Man, he was just scything through them sometimes. Absolutely. Well, he did um, Coulthard, LeBrock and Courtney on one lap. He passed them, which was his first lap out of the pits. Then he's done Hazelwood the next lap. Then the next lap he's gone past Percat and Waters. Yeah, and all of a sudden he's right behind um, behind Van Gisbergen. He's saying, then he's done Van Gisbergen and uh, Winterbottom and Reynolds in the next lap. And then all of a sudden he's third, closing in on, on, Winterbo- on Wincup. He was three seconds behind Wincup. Three, three laps later he's in front of Wincup. You know, the car just had everything. And it shows the benefits of those two two tyre stops earlier in the in the race weekend. Well, um, that he really had everything, and and I thought, you know, he was closing in, and I thought he had a chance of getting McLaughlin. But um, it looks like on lap twenty five, right? He's he's past JW for second, and he's five seconds behind. And I tell you, at that stage, with about six or seven laps to go, I thought he could have done it. Yeah, up to that point, he was travelling at about a second lap quicker than than either Wincup or or um, McLaughlin in front of him. But maybe it's just that that edge, you know, like passing all of those cars. As we said, when you're in the traffic, you know, you're getting washed, you're slipping the tyres, you're scraping the tyres, you're hurting the tyres, and it just seemed like it had done the damage. And by the time he got on, you know, clean air to chase down McLaughlin, he just didn't have enough of the speed left in the car. So, you know, second place, bloody good result for him and um, just a great outcome for him as a person and, uh, you know, just a bit he couldn't get up to get the win. He still pulled him back to 1.5 seconds, so yeah. it didn't too, too bad, but I also felt that McLaughlin kept his uh, car so precise, no mistakes, no sliding, and, and he just he just maximised what he had and it, it was too much for Holdsworth to actually bridge that gap. Yeah, and that's the beauty of doing what McLaughlin did, you know, leading away from the start and putting a gap so that you are then in control. You know, you're not you're not racing anybody. All you're doing is keeping a pace to yourself. And McLaughlin's the best in the business at it at the moment. You know, he's so good at controlling the car and looking after the tyres, looking after every part of fuel consumption. You know, remember Bathurst last year, you know, not many people would have got home like he did, but he was able to conserve fuel, whereas other people couldn't in the same configuration i mean you know, he stopped on the same lap as Wincup, yet Wincup had to f- had to pit for fuel last year and the same thing here you know he had the gap and then he was able to just look after the car he was able to make sure it wasn't sliding and doing all of the bad things at the chicken flag it was mclaughlin from holdsworth and Wincup rounded out the podium reynolds and winner bottom top five and then shane van gisbergen anton de pasquale uh, todd hazelwood nick Percat. And Bryce forward, rounding out the top 10. And can I say, I don't think the results reflect forward how well he actually did on the weekend. He was fast. He was the fastest of the rookies. Yeah, and I think he did really well. He was one of the people allowed to drive the rookie session. So that tells you how, um, how young he is in the, um, in the overall game. So he's learning and he's learning fast. He'll be good. He was quick on uh, on Saturday, and um, you know the tenth place on the Sunday was a was a pretty good return. Um, what I perhaps find more interesting there is that the Walkinshaw Andretti United cars had speed that I wasn't expecting them to have. Maybe the um, you know the the combination of the of the Andrettis and the United 
uh, platform is actually helping the cars to get to where they need to. And how good would it be to see those cars back up the front end of the grid? Um, I think it would be awesome for the sport. You know, I think looking at what's going on from Adelaide to here, it's only a matter of time, I think, before we see Chas Mostert standing on the middle step of a podium if, in fact, we have a podium back again this year. Well, it's a, <laughs> it's a great thing. Another yeah. team up the front is, is perfect. Oh, I love it yeah. for the sport. No, it's good. And the thing is that if you look at it, like Nick Perkat's win, that's the first win since 2018 by a driver that's not in a DJR Team Penske, a Red Bull Racing or a Tickford car. You know, and that was Dave Reynolds who won in 2018. So even Dave Reynolds didn't manage to win a race last year. Yeah, the more we mix it up, the better, as you say. And who knows, you know, Winton's one of those racetracks that provides all sorts of oddities. We might see something even, you know, stranger come out of it. And, you know, you might see anything happen there. But, you know, if you look at the, the what's gone on this weekend, you know, Todd Hazelwood's knocking on the door. Nick Perk had obviously knocked on the door and, and opened for him. You know, so we've got a couple of young guys like that coming through. Fullwood's only going to get better. Anton Di Pasquale's got to keep getting better. Um, I can't see Dave Reynolds being off the pace for all that long. So, and then you've got the, you know, the other guys in the Tickford team. You know, like Jack LeBrock looked okay at patches this weekend. James Courtney has got to get better as he learns the Mustang a little bit more. The Callies are going to get better. Like, you know, what's the chance Andre Heimgartner might win a race this year? So I, I think it's a really exciting year for us now. We've waited all of this time. You know, it was 107 days since they ran it at Melbourne. So, you know, it's great to see them back in track. But it's even better to have some, some interest and excitement because we really don't know. There's something unusual is going to happen this year. We know it. We can feel it. And, and I'm waiting for it and I'm excited. Okay, three races, run and done. First race, week, first race weekend in the uh, new COVID era. What do you think the main thing we can take away from this race meeting? What's the, what's the one thing? Um, races are better without fuel stops. Um, so I think if we can get our races done inside the capacity of the fuel tank, that's great. So Eastern Creek Raceway, they can do 35 laps on a tank of fuel. So we did 30 laps. So no dramas, which means they can go out and race and they can race hard. And the second part is that if tyres degrade, then we end up with a better package overall because it means that some people can look after tyres while some people will hammer them. We can do different things on our tyre stops and our strategies and that's when things happen. So in a parity formula, what you need for overtaking is difference and tyres provide that. We've been trying to do the tyre thing for ages and we never seem to be able to get it work. Do you think we just stumbled onto it a little bit? Well, perhaps because Eastern Creek is such a hard track on tyres, it was always going to, to hurt the tyres. Winton's a very low degradation. So I think after we've seen Winton, we'll have a better idea about that part of it. They could probably run a soft tyre for the entire race at Winton if it's only that long. So they're only going to be stopping because they have to. And this is what I want to ask about. We talk about the possibility of putting on your best tyres, go for it at the start and defending at the, at the end of the race. But is that going to work for all racetracks? What if you get on a racetrack that's easy to pass on? That whole uh, strategy may not play out. It may not, but not a lot of our tracks are easy to pass on is the bottom line. You know, there's, there's a few that have got some good spots. So you've really got to work hard to make overtaking moves happen. What you don't want is you don't want to be following cars in high load corners. So where the aero wash comes into play and it scrubs the tyres, you don't want that. So anywhere, so Winton, for instance, there's nowhere like that on the track. So you're not ever going to get into this same situation that we had at Eastern Creek. We're not going to be punishing tyres because we're following somebody. So that means ultimately, yes, you can have that. You can have that little bit of extra bite from the tyres or the little bit of grip. 
um, and you can do something different. I mean, we saw Jason Bright do it, you know, a decade ago when he came from about 15th in five laps and won the bloody race, you know, because he went, they gambled and put him on brand new tyres. It is possible even at a low deg circuit for the tyres to play their game. And, and that's what we've got to sit and hope for, you know, that the format is good. Because the, the problem with the fuel stops is that there's a time. So everybody has to put the same amount of fuel in. And that means that it's just boring. Everybody's going to stop for, during the race, 15 seconds or 16 seconds or whatever it is. They're all going to stop for exactly the same amount of time. So it means there's no strategy. In this case, when I can do two tyres or four tyres and four tyres are going to take me more than two tyres, strategy comes into it. And that's when we see the best thinkers in the game come about and that's when we see different things happen. And then you touched on also the other aspect of it. I just wanted to talk a little bit more and it was the aero wash. Can you explain to me what this aero wash is all about? Is it the same as following a car? Explain to me what the frick aero wash is to start with and how do we fix it? Aero wash is effectively the dirty air that comes out the back of a car generating lots of downforce. But, yeah, so, I want um, to know that. I can show you. I can draw you little pictures here, but it's not going to help because it's a podcast. But <laughs> effectively we've got the, the Venturis on the back of the car um, and the wing, and it all forces the air to come be sucked out of the bottom of the car, and it comes out swirling around in big packs of things. So it's not a smooth airflow. Um, so have you ever seen those ones where they hold the, the smoke in front of a car in, in a wind tunnel? Yep. And yep. You get these yep. nice smooth air patterns. You can't get that. So what you've got is this really messy air that hits the front splitter. And when it hits the front splitter and it's all messy and washed over, you don't get the proper downforce because it's not hitting it smoothly. So air or wash is just a new term for I've got no downforce because I'm following a car? Yeah. Yeah, fair Pretty enough. Much so. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So, so the I'll, only way to fix it, yeah, the only way to fix it, Nev, is to cut the arrow. Didn't they do it's that? It's quite simple. Yeah, they just cut it more. My theory on supercars is that they should be zero lift, maybe 10 kilograms downforce, not 300 kilograms downforce, 160 kilograms, but almost nothing. We just want them. There's only one thing we need to worry about with a supercar, that is that it can get down Conrod straight without flying. And if we've got the downforce levels to that point, that's the base level that we work from. Then you won't have aero wash. So really you've got to want to report put it to mechanical grip, not aero grip. Absolutely, yep. And if you've got mechanical grip, then all sorts of things can happen. I can change the line into a turn. A little harder when the tyres are chunking off and leaving rubber on the outside, but it gives me the ability to take a slightly different line and to point at different things if I have to. Yeah, I, I've always favoured mechanical grip over aero grip. And the other thing, less engineers at the track, less drivers looking at charts and things like that as another thing to come up. Yeah, and the other thing the drivers spoke about was how exciting it was to just go bang, 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 bang through the sessions and not sitting around for hours, as you say, looking at data spreadsheets or spreadsheets or whatever. I mean, it just does your brain in. And what it was good at is that it brings you back to the drivers who can drive and the drivers who can tell the engineers what's going on. So who can actually feel it? Who can who can put that into words and relay it to them? What's the relationship like between me and my engineer? You know, does he understand when I say I've got, you know, I've got understeer, I'm not getting turned, all those sort of things. Does he understand it without being able to look at a spreadsheet? And I think it's awesome. I, and let's say the drivers enjoyed it. I'm sure the engineers who were stuck at home didn't enjoy it so much, but <laughs> they can download the stuff when the car arrives home and work it all out for themselves. But, yeah, I thought it was a good thing. I thought it made it a bit more interesting. Not so dependent on the engineers, a bit more dependent on the drivers um, Love and their relationship with an engineer by words, not by data.
We're talking about results. Three race weekends. Uh, well, let's do the weekend uh, results overall with the points. Scott McLaughlin came out on top over these three races or the SMP weekend, 286 points, followed by Jamie Winker. 264. Then Nick Percat, third, 230. A great haul of points for him. That's hopefully going to um, elevate him in the uh, standings. Then Shane Van Gisbergen on 224. Uh, rounding out the top five, Lee Holdsworth. Great to see on 200 for the weekend, um, which brings the full drivers' championship. And I'll go the top five there. Scott McLaughlin, 574. Jamie Winkup, 525. Chad's Mostert, 432. Cameron Waters, 411. Followed by David Reynolds on 392, rounding out the top five. We've got uh, Nick Percat's. Uh, Lee Holdsworth and Nick Percat are both in sixth and seventh uh, in there as well. So they're even ahead of Shane Van Gisbergen in the, in the, in the championship. And number 10, 10th in the championship, is Andre Heidgartner. Yeah, and you forgot Frosty in ninth. So, um, yeah, it's such a good mix, oh, isn't yes. it? It's, uh, Jesus, sorry, yeah. Frosty. It's a nice little, it's a nice little setup in there at the moment, and I think it's going to be interesting to me to see, you know, how high the the Tickford guys can climb. You know, so where can Cam Waters finish? Because it's I reckon Cam Waters is a star, and he's got the potential. But like, the one that's got me so far is Chas Mostert, like sitting third in the championship. I mean, I thought going to Walkinshaw and Ready United was a bad move. Um, he's proven me wrong. He is over 140 points behind. Yeah, that's okay. But he's um 140 points closer than Shane Van Gisbergen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, the team's championship, Red Bull Racing, and leading that by 878 from the Shell V Power Racing team, which is 828. And if Coulthard had been able to finish, that may have been a different story. I'm not too sure. But then third, Tickford Racing 2 is beating Tickford Racing 1. I know, funny, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. So Tickford Racing Two, I think, is um, Cam Waters and the Twenty Three Red Car, and, or, or or James Courtney, um, and the other one is Jack LeBrock and um, and Lee, I think. Lee Holdsworth. So that's interesting. Okay, and rounding yeah. uh, out the top five, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United Racing. Um, so yeah, the big guys are up there. Well, they're all up there, really. Uh, first of all, I want to put in a couple of plugs. I keep up with the news on our Motorsport 360, the app, again, on the Android platform. Yeah, looking forward to Winton, uh, round four. How far away is that and what are people to expect? What do we expect? Well, Winton, we know, is, a, is an interesting little racetrack. We don't know yet whether crowds are going to be allowed in there. We don't know any of that sort of stuff. We don't know the race formats. So I think supercars were sitting back and hoping that they would learn from this weekend. I think the feedback is so positive that I would be expecting to see a very similar race format go for, at Winton. There will be support classes at Winton, which will be a bit different. So um, this weekend there were no other classes to worry about, so they didn't have to worry about anything. So that could change it around a little bit as well. But, you know, I think we'll head into Winton in the middle of the year, middle of the year. so cold nights, warm days possibly, or thunderstorms and hailstorms. It could be anything. So uh, it's always a great time at Winton at this time of year. Well, we'll have all the latest news and what's going on coming into that event for Supercars in Preview on Monday, 13th of July. So keep an eye out for that one. Clarky, as always, it was great talking to you. And from me, it's a good night.
So that's it. After more than 100 days on the sideline, the supercars were back in action at Sydney Motorsport Park. And it was great. It was everything we'd hoped for. The new rules mixed up the game. We had five sets of tyres, but we had to do six stints on those tyres. So it meant at some point in time, we had to take pain. The drivers had to choose when they took their pain and when they took their game. Nick Perkett did it beautifully, winning race two. Scotty McLaughlin won race one after a bit of a scare when he used his tyres early, but then he won in race three again under enormous pressure from Lee Holdsworth, who was coming through from the back of the pack after taking his pain earlier in the weekend. This is what motor racing is all about. It's about the unknown. It's about the exciting things that can happen when we mix it up. Now we've just got to sit back and wait three or four weeks to Winton, and let's see what happens at a low degradation track, a track that's not going to punish the tyres, but a track that always rewards the brave. This has been Andrew Clark and Big Head Nev, and this is Supercars in Review.